Hello, welcome friends to Consider Yourself Hugged. I am your host, Tammy Weston. Whew. What a week it's been. What a couple weeks, what a month, what a few months. I, I feel like I've been in therapy with you for all this time right now because my mental health has been, you know, we talked about it being a journey and I've been fluctuating just insanely for the past few months. And so I have been diving into podcasts, into books, into therapy sites, and and doing all these sessions on mental health, I believe has given me some clarity. And it's just, it has been a super duper growth period. I have referred back to my book, Life Without the Monster, several times. And so we are here today to talk about panic. What does it feel like? Do you have a disorder? What if someone you love is having panic? Because I think of all the types of mental health and the types of anxiety, this is the most difficult one. I think if you're, well, if you're experiencing it, number one, but if you're, if you love someone or, you know, you're with someone who is experiencing it and you don't understand it, this one is hard because it escalates so quickly and it just doesn't make any sense. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to read this part of my book where I talk about panic attacks. So sit back, friends, grab some apple cider or a pumpkin latte and sit by the fire or get under a blanket or whatever it is. Maybe you're in a warm spot. But anyway, just relax. I'm going to read a little bit to you. I don't remember my first days at school. I don't remember my first dance or my first communion. That's a Catholic thing, by the way, if you don't know, or my first confession, same thing. I don't even remember my first kiss. In fact, I have very few memories of childhood. My first panic attack, however, is a vivid memory. My father was a country music singer, and during the summers, we would often travel with him and his band. We were still a happy family at that time, at least I thought we were. And those are actually some of my fondest memories, traveling through the country in whatever beat up car we were driving at the time, my sister car sick, my parents fighting, you know, what family vacations are all about. When I was nine, we were on one of those summer trips. And remember when you were at the swimming pool as a child and your parents would say, don't run, you'll slip and fall. Well, I was running around the hotel swimming pool and I did slip and I did fall. My memory after the fall was not one of a hurt leg or a bumped head. It was one of fear. I suffered my very first panic attack. I was away from home and I was scared. My heart was pounding. My breathing was fast and shallow and the feeling of fear was overwhelming. That feeling was soon to become very common. And it's difficult to put into a word into words how a panic attack feels, especially as a child. I did fine during the day, but when night came, I became absolutely terrified. Every night was the same. The fear, the inability to breathe, the sense of being out of control, the feeling that death was surely on its way. I remember wanting to breathe, but being unable to. I remember being so scared and wanting it to go away so badly. I remember hating that I was going through it again. And it happened night after night after night. My mother took me to several doctors and they did tests, but they all come back normal. And I remember saying to her, those doctors don't know what they're talking about. There is something definitely wrong with me. And I told her she would be sorry when I died. Because of those panic attacks, there were no sleepovers at friends' houses. Nighttime was my enemy and I could not be away from home. One night I became brave. I was in the sixth grade and I decided to try spending the night at a friend's house. It's so funny what we remember, isn't it? I recall David Bowie's song, Fame, playing on the radio. 
the tune that song the tune to that song scared me even more not to mention the rumor of devil worshipers and the hill behind my friend's house the feeling was coming i was absolutely petrified and i knew calling home was my only hope at three in the morning my mother came to get me and to this day when i hear that song shivers go up my spine yeah i think that's i think that's all for now you know I have friends who were friends with me because these panic attack attacks continued off and on. They they faded some when I got into high school, middle school, high school. They faded some. But as an adult, they started again when I had a difficult student teaching experience. And you know what? There is something else I wanted to read to you. That was like the most important thing. So that so that was sort of like me describing how it felt to you as a child, but let me explain to you kind of in a way, something about the way that it felt as an adult. This is analogy, an analogy that I've talked about from time to time. So I say, I have a favorite analogy. My life was like living with room darkening shades around me. There were times when the shades were pulled up and I would see things as they were like reasonably. Of course, life is fine. I don't have to do this thing I don't want to do. There are other things I can do. This is not a catastrophe. I will feel better soon. The sky would look normal. The grass and trees would look normal. I, I could get up and leave my room and think I was over everything. It would be okay. I could have conversations with people. My muscles weren't tense. I wasn't afraid. And then wham, the shades would close again. And I would be back in my world of illusion, a world that made no sense. Everything looked so different when the shades were down. It was like I was out of my body and looking around at this strange world. And I was so jealous of everyone else in their quote, normal lives. And that's what it really boiled down to. I just wanted to be normal. See, people who are having panic attacks. It doesn't really make sense to the outside world. Now, let me clarify just a little bit. A panic attack, and I'm going to read to you again out of my book in just a minute because I did write a whole whole chapter, a whole section about panic. But a panic attack, some people will say they're having one, and they might be having a panic attack where your pulse is racing, your blood pressure goes up, and you might feel clammy and sweaty, and you might feel weak and shaky and scared. Everybody's probably experienced that because you know that emotion of fear is a basic emotion. But and you've heard me talk about this before. But the emotion of fear is something that happens sometimes without even you knowing it just boom, it happens. But then as we get older, you know, as babies and we grow up and then we learn how to think and we learn what's expected to uh, of us and we learn social norm norms and what the world expects and what our parents and teachers, we learn all of that. And then you put those thoughts with the basic emotion of fear and we get maybe terror or panic. And so it's our thoughts that go into it. So everybody's probably had a panic attack from time to time. And, and let me read to you. Let's see. So this is according to the AADA. I didn't even get on their website, even though my book is old, I'm assuming it's basically the same thing. A panic attack consists of quote, an abrupt onset of an episode of intense fear or discomfort, which peaks in approximately 10 minutes and includes at least four of the following. And I'll, I'll put pictures of this, or I'll type it out in the show notes or maybe a link, I don't know. So at least four of the following, a feeling of imminent danger or doom, the need to escape, palpitations, sweating, trembling, shortness of breath or a smothering feeling, a feeling of choking. Okay, I'm not done yet. I have like eight more. Chest pain or discomfort, nausea or abdominal discomfort, dizziness, lightheadedness, 
a sense of things being unreal, which is depersonalization, a fear of losing control or going crazy, a fear of dying, tingling sensations, chills, or hot flushes. So you heard me mention some of those when I described the panic attack as the child. I, I, I thought I was going to die. I couldn't breathe. I felt out of my body, all those things. And so sometimes these panic attacks can appear out of nowhere. But how do you know if it's a panic disorder? And this is where I get, listen, I'm so open about mental health. You know this. And so sometimes I'll be light and flip about it and I'll laugh and all that, all that. But I do get a little bit testy, I think, when, when, for example, OCD, when people joke around about I'm being, oh, I'm so OCD. But when the word disorder comes at the end, no, you don't understand what that's like. And so having a panic attack from time to time, probably most people have, but how do you know if it's a panic disorder? Um, so here, here are some of the things about that. Um, yes or no. Are you troubled by, this is the first one, repeated unexpected attacks during which you suddenly are overcome by intense fear or discomfort for no apparent reason? It just comes out of the blue. Um, next question. Yes or no. Did During this attack, did you experience any of the following symptoms? It's, it's mostly all the ones I just read before. Next question. Do you experience a fear of places or situations where getting help or escape might be difficult, such as in a crowd or on a bridge? Next question. Does being unable to travel without a companion trouble you? And then the last one. For at least one month following an attack, have you felt persistent concern about having another one or worried about having a heart attack or going crazy or changed your behavior to accommodate the attack? Yeah, I think I said on my last episode that for many elements of mental health, I would rather have a baby with no numbing medication every day than to experience mental health issues. And I think specifically what I really mean by that is the panic attacks. I mean, the intense worry is awful too, but the panic attacks, you guys, if you've had one so before, they're so, so scary. And they, they make you feel like oftentimes, like you just don't even want to live anymore. And so a few things of now I'm going to get a little bit sort of and try to, you know, I have some notes written down here so I wouldn't forget some of the things I wanted to tell you because panic is a, is a serious thing. It's a scary thing. I think more than, no, I shouldn't say that, you know, I haven't experienced every mental illness there is, but of the ones I had, um, panic disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, PTSD, and depression, the panic is by far the worst. And so it was the one that made me just even ask my, when they checked me into the mental hospital, do I even want to live anymore? If this is going to be my life, do I even want to live anymore? So I made some notes about a few things that have come up lately, and I have some things that I think will help. Um, oh, I know what I was going to say. Sorry. My son, Michael, who's 30, experiences some of the same issues that I have, including panic. And so I'm hoping he might come on with me at some point and talk about it. But it's it's hard. You know, not everybody is really willing to share. And I know he doesn't mind that I share with you. So we'll see. I hope that we'll have a conversation at some point because I think he has a lot to, to say and tell you. Um, but I've been listening to a couple of podcasts lately about worrying, anxiety, triggers, PTSD. And I learned a couple of things about myself 
that I want to share with you and also encourage you to take some steps if panic is something that you're dealing with. The first one is that I don't love myself the way that I should. So think of think of somebody that you don't really care for. You don't really enjoy spending time with them. Maybe they are um, condescending or sarcastic or just not supportive, not lifting. You feel bad when they're around. They might say things that are hurtful. How much time do you want to spend with that person? Like if you know you have to spend time with that person, you're probably dreading it or you try to not spend time with that person. And so I don't know if you know what I'm getting at here, but I was thinking about myself in these times where my mental health is not just super good at the top. And I thought, that's me with me. Does that make sense? Do you know what I'm saying? It's like, I am the person who is saying in my head to me, condescending things, not supportive things, snarky, snarky, sarcastic things to me. And I have to spend time with me like all the time. I cannot get away from me. Do you know what I'm saying? So I thought, well, that sucks. So the second thing that I realized, because I am a speaker. I have my PhD in human development. I've done all this stuff on stress and emotions and mental health and healing. I write about it. I podcast about it. I speak about it all over the world. And yet I'm struggling. Do you know how hard that is? And so as I was listening to some of these podcasts today, I realized, so the first thing was that I don't love myself the way that I should. And the second thing was, I can't heal myself. So do you hear that? Let me say it again. I cannot heal myself just with myself. And see you, I don't know where you are with your mental health. And I don't know whether you are trying to care and help care for and help someone with mental health. And so you may be at the point where you can take care of the things like maybe you do get a little anxious or worried, but you, you know, it is, you get past it quick. And that was me really for many years prior to COVID. Like I would have some dips, but I had enough skills where I could get through it. But there are things that definitely trigger me. It's funny. I'm, I'm doing a session with a friend for a conference in a few weeks on perfectionism. And so she started the PowerPoint and the content. She sent it to me. And one of the things she had on there was a quiz about perfectionism, which I will put a link in the show notes. And so it takes she put on there about 20 minutes. I think I raced through it because I was getting, I get bored very easy. So I'm like, what? More questions, more questions, more questions, but try to take time. But one of the questions asked something like this, when you make a mistake or you get like negative feedback from your boss, how long do you carry that with you? And the choices were a few minutes, a few hours, a few days or months or years. Now, here's what I thought about during, after I took that quiz. And then when I was look, listening to the podcast about PTSD and triggers and anxiety. So you, you probably, well, maybe you're new, maybe you've never heard me before, but my, my original hospitalization was when I was 30, I guess I was 30, 1995. So I was, yeah, almost 31. And I had gotten negative feedback while I was student teaching. It was front in front of the whole class. And the cooperating teacher told me and my university supervisor who was there to visit that I had no initiative and that I didn't want to be there and I didn't belong there. That put me in such a spiral 
because I'd grown up most of my life just wanting to be perfect, you know, just wanting to not make mistakes. And so I had that feedback and I, and I've always known, and I've always kept it with me. I didn't mean to keep it with me by the way, but apparently it's still there. And so, so that's something that was big and I remember, and it's always there. And that's influenced a lot of things that have gone on in my life. But when I was listening to the podcast, I remembered something I had forgotten. And that's when I, when I was in graduate school, Years ago, I started graduate school in biology. That was my undergraduate degree. I didn't finish because I was pregnant. My husband was in the military at the time, and then we moved. And so I didn't finish, but I was a graduate teaching assistant. So I taught undergrad biology labs and my supervisor came in to supervise. You know, they had to, they had to, what do you call it? Evaluate us. And so she came in to evaluate me and there was some, I don't really remember, but there was some chemical or piece of equipment. I didn't know where it was. And since she was in there, I asked her and on my evaluation, she said that I wasn't prepared. I had forgot about that, but apparently that perfection question said, how long does it stay with you? And apparently it is years. Cause that was like in 1988, 1989. So I want to encourage you. This is really, see, I, I, I think because of what I do, I feel like I know everything. I'm just being honest with you that I should know, but I don't. Apparently there's more buried stuff there that I need to dig out. And so I really encourage you as you think about your own mental health, especially because that's what we're talking about now. My panic attacks are set off by perfectionism, by negative feedback, by feeling like I'm not prepared by feeling like I'm not good enough. And so I am going to take steps and I am going to look at some EMDR therapy. I'm going to actually look at some talk therapy first and then some EMDR therapy. And I will definitely stay with you and let you know how that's going. Uh, but I do want to leave you with a few things um, because I think it's hard to give someone advice on how to get through a panic attack. Um, be careful. There are Facebook groups that you can join about anxiety and panic, but it's if you take on other people's emotions as your own, which I do, don't do that because you will feel terrible as you're reading the pain that these people are in. But all the advice is the same. And I always wonder if the advice even helps because it's so painful what we really, we wanted to go away. It's just so painful. So I, I pulled out a few things that I thought might help you if you will do this in the moment. And this, these are some of the things I try to help my son with. Some of the things that I try to remember myself, I'm better at it now. Um, I haven't really had panic attacks recently, but I did even as soon as within the past year. So here we go. Number one, tell yourself immediately, say it out loud over and over again, immediately, I am not dying and this will pass. I am not dying and this will pass. Say it calmly say it slowly. Number two, breathe. Is that not the most annoying piece of advice? But listen, I believe when people would tell me to breathe, I was doing it wrong. So this is how I was doing it. So it'd be like, take a deep breath, right? Now, I don't know if you can tell, you, maybe if you're on YouTube watching me, you can kind of see it. If you're listening, you can't. But what I've did there is what exactly people say, take a deep breath. But what people don't always tell you is to exhale as much as you inhaled. So we're going to do a quick little practice 
Um, I'm not even, yeah, I am going to tell you the whole thing. Okay. If you're on YouTube, you'll be able to kind of see me. So go to YouTube if you're not, but what you're going to do is you're going to put a hand on your chest and a hand on your stomach. You're going to breathe in deeply through your nose to the count of four, slowly and deeply feeling both hands move out so that you're getting lungs going down, lungs going out. Okay. Then you're going to hold it for four seconds, but when you exhale, so I'm going to do the whole thing and show you. So it's in through your nose. Hold out through your mouth. <laughs> and do it until you make no more noise. They're, now, don't do this in front of people. They really are going to be like, oh my gosh, she's totally lost her mind now. But what that does is it forces you to train your body what it feels like to exhale as much as you inhaled. Because if you exhale, and don't get all that breath out and you do it over and over, you are hyperventilating. Hyperventilating means you got more oxygen in, you're not getting the carbon dioxide. It's it, and anyway, it's this whole thing. So number three, use a paper bag if you're hyperventilating. So if you really just can't get a control of your breath, get a paper bag and listen, if you're prone to panic and you don't have paper bags, go to the store and buy some lunch sacks, crinkle it around and slowly breathe in and out because that gets more CO2 in and it triggers your body to slow down. And eventually you will settle. If you don't have a paper bag, use the cup of your hand, use anything that you can contain your breath until you get that breathing down. That was number three. Number four, call someone, have a safe person, have a person who's not going to judge you, have a person who is not going to say, calm down, have a person that even if they don't understand who will be there for you, who will guide you through your breathing, who will just sit with you, who will listen to you, find that person. Number five, recognize catastrophic and global thinking. This is another self-talk thing. Catastrophic thinking means you may not even know it because see panic attacks. They will come to me sometimes when I was in a restaurant, in a movie theater, and I wouldn't be able to recognize it right away. What caused it? But if you start getting to know your own brain, you will figure it out. And oftentimes it's this catastrophic thinking, which means whatever the situation is that's going on in your life, you have blown it up to be the worst that it could possibly be. And then talk yourself the other way. Global thinking, this kind of goes back to number one, telling yourself that it will pass. Global thinking means the way you feel right now is always the way you're going to feel. And that is not true. I promise you that is not true. Number seven. Think of someone who has healed or dealt with what you're going through. For me, it was always failure. And so now I try to think of a time or a person who has failed and they're okay with it. And I think of that person and I think of how much I admire that person and how their world did not fall apart, whatever your trigger is. Number seven, therapy and medication if you need it. Panic disorder is so scary. And so if you have an addictive personality, you know, just be careful, work with your doctor. I do not. So I was on clonopin for a short period of time and it brought me off the ledge many times, but I don't have an addictive personality. So I could take it and then leave it when I didn't need it. But there are many types of therapy 
you know, there's talk therapy, there's this EMDR, which I'm going to check out there. I mean, there's just cognitive behavioral therapy, and then there's different types of medication that can help you. So you've heard me say this before. Don't let anybody shame you into not taking care of your mental health. Anybody. I don't care if it's a spouse, a child, a parent, a friend, a pastor, a church member, a coworker, a boss. No one should shame you into not caring for your mental health. And then number seven, I just put repeat. If you need to put these on a card, if you need to laminate them and put them in a place where you can see them, what I want for you is for you to know that there is hope from panic. It is not forever. It is for a time period until you and your body. And for me, you know, it was, it was God. It was faith. It was a lot of self knowing, but apparently, like I told you, it's not all gone. I haven't dealt with it all. So I'm not sure exactly what some of that is, but I am not giving up and it is not going to win. And if I have to work for the rest of my life, which I might, and that's okay, because I know that things can get better. If you are someone who is loving, caring for, working with, friends with, whatever, someone having panic, please understand that it is not a choice. Please understand that when you look at them and you don't get it and you want them to just move on and calm down, it is the worst feeling in the world. It is scary. It is sad. You just want to be normal. You just want the shades to go up. You just want things to look normal and you want to feel like things are going to be okay. So if you can't, if you can't exude that to that person, then you need to tell them you love them and see if there's someone else who can, because that's what they need. So this was kind of intense, a little bit longer than I intended it to be, but I'm telling you, I've I don't know. God is allowing me maybe to, to go through this, to learn more about myself, to never forget how you might feel. I, I don't know it, it. I don't know what it is, but I, like I said, I'm not giving up and I don't want you to give up either. So thank you for being here. Please subscribe, download, rate wherever you're watching because it really helps the show to grow. Pass along to your friends, invite them. If you are a woman, please join the private Facebook group. The link will be in the show notes. Um, I'm hoping again that, I don't know, my son and I are going to record together at some point. It might be about um, panic and mental health. It might be about, um, oh, what's the author? Oh my gosh, the book that I told you about. Wow, I don't remember. But anyway, we are going to have a conversation at some point. So I hope that this has helped you some. Please ask questions, give comments, suggestions, and encouragement. And until we're together again, consider yourself hugged.